Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast, and I'm so glad you've chosen to listen to this. Over the next several weeks, you will be listening to a series called Stopping Jesus, and this is not intended to be a message where we say, Jesus, we don't want you to do anything, but it's where we say, Jesus, stop, see what we're going through, see where we are, and would you move on our behalf? I hope you enjoy this series. I hope it does something for your life and challenges you to live even more for Jesus. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. So if I want to be a God pleaser, I must have faith mixed into everything that I do. Amen. And so, I want to share with you uh, uh, Claire drew me a picture this morning and it has impacted my faith this morning like no one's business. She drew a picture of her and me and uh, I just want you to know on this picture of her and me, both people have hair. So I have faith this morning that maybe she was seeing prophetically that something will sprout on the top of my head. Of course, if I keep shaving it shiny, um, that's never going to happen. But uh, anyway, my faith is enhanced this morning by my child. So anyway, that's that's my shtick on that. So anyway, um, that thing's working good. I'm nervous that my backups, my live stream is my backup for my audio for the sermon in case... That doesn't record, so now I'm nervous, but we'll be good to go. So anyway, we're continuing a series for those of you that are with us today for the first time. We appreciate it. It's good to see you. I won't call you out, but it's good to see you this morning. Um, Missed seeing you, so it's good. Claire Bear, this is my faith-filled child sitting in the front row, ready to give her daddy a hug. I love you, baby girl. Yeah. Um, Anyway, if you're back a second time, that's awesome, too. And if you're back continually, we love that. So we've been in the middle of a series called Stopping Jesus. Um, Is that hard for us to say? Can you all say that? Say Stopping Jesus. Does it initially make you feel like that's a negative thing? Because when I first heard that, when God planted that in my mind to do a long series on, I was like, no, I can't do that. Then I thought, well, maybe we can get a little controversial, maybe... Uh, It'll be enough of a play on words that somebody might hear it and go, yeah, we'll get there. I had to block some people on Facebook because they couldn't leave me alone, derogatorily speaking, about the title of this series. And I'm like, you don't get it. We're not here to stop Jesus like we want to stop abortion. We're here to stop Jesus like, Jesus, stop and right here and do something. That's what I want. Not, not just stop here, but stop in my household, stop in my life, stop in my marriage, stop in my health, and do something within those things. And so we've embarked over the last, well, t- counting today, eight weeks and looking at circumstances where Jesus has stopped and done something pretty incredible. Now, we've got to have some kind of a theme scripture, theme to point to where where's the basis not just in stories that we read throughout the new and old testament but what's our foundation what's the principle behind this stopping jesus and i love that he intertwines his stopping for us with grace because i don't know about you but i'm standing in front of you a man that's not worthy of god to even stop for but in his goodness and his kindness and in his grace he stopped for me and in his goodness and his kindness and in his grace and i'll add mercy He stops for you, but what is it? And we look at Isaiah 66, our Old Testament passage this morning, that points clearly to whom Jesus is going to 
stop for and why he stops for you and his handiwork and his work within stopping for us. And Isaiah 66 verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord. Something opens from a prophet, a man of God in the Old Testament that's tried and true, that prophesied, by the way, with accuracy thousands of years later, the coming of Jesus Christ, that prophesies with accuracy his death, his burial, his resurrection, that prophesies with accuracy some of the things that we're experiencing today. I would think that as we unveil this man, as he prophesies with an opening of thus saith the Lord, he's been proven to be someone we should listen to. And Isaiah says this as God is speaking through him. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest and my response? Response to a question if God was asking me that very question, and you could say, Maybe God is asking you that question in this room today. Whom of you can build such a house? I think none of us would raise our hands and say that I'm the one that can build that for you. None of us would say I'm worthy enough. None of us would even feel like we're capable. None of us has the skills that could build something glorious enough, grand enough. I know that we read in the Old Testament that David's son was able to build a temple made of all kinds of glorious, uh, precious metals that would house the very presence of God, but it still wasn't to the magnitude that I think should house the presence of God in my mindset because I can only imagine that if God is referencing heaven, his throne, the earth, his footstool, can you imagine how big God must be and how on earth am I going to build something like that but verse 2 clinches it for me verse 2 he says all of these things say all of these things my hand has made in other words he's saying you're off the hook you don't have to do this you don't have to make this thing and I, I referenced then the thought that we find out in the New Testament that we are the temple Of the Holy Spirit. We are to house the manifest presence of God. And how on earth could I build this temple or make this temple right enough or worthy enough or grand enough or beautiful enough enough to house the presence of God? What kind of work can I do within this temple that would make it good enough? And then we realize in Ephesians, look at that in chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. For by grace, are the slides not working this morning? says, for by grace, in verse 8, you have been saved through faith, and it's not by your own doing. Isn't that powerful? You realize I didn't have to do anything to earn salvation? No, did you hear what I said? I didn't have to do. You see, for so long, it has been taught that you need to get right with God, and then you can be part of what we're doing. But I'm here to tell you that you can be part of what we're doing, and in so doing, God will make you right. Listen, it's, it's, it's okay to not be okay. Isn't that powerful? It's okay to not be okay. Now let me put a caveat in there. It's not okay to stay that way. It's okay to be a work in progress. It's okay to have God do something miraculous within your life. But listen, don't ever stay out on the fringes because of what you feel like you have put in there in your vessel to make yourself unworthy because the Bible says all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us has been able to attain God's standard. But it's the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us as a free 
gift. And in verse 9 of Ephesians chapter 2, set 2, it says, it's not a result of works. And why? Because if it was anything that I did, that I'd have something to boast about. You see that? It's not anything of works so that no one may boast. For we, and remember, back in verse 2 of Isaiah 66, you don't have to go there on the slide. All these things my hand has made, made God says. So we go back to verse 10 in Ephesians 2. And it says, for we are God's workmanship. That's his temple. We are God's workmanship. And we were created in Christ for good works. And I love this, which God prepared beforehand and we should walk in them. So going all the way back to verse 2, which should show up on the slide. Understanding that it's God that does the work. He's the one that prepares this vessel. He's the one that we're surrendered to. He's already painted the picture that he's doing the work. And he says, if I've done the work, let me tell you how you become the one in whom I stop for. And he says this, but this is the one whom I will look. Again, what I'm about to describe is somebody that we cannot attain to without Christ. We cannot do it on our own. I want you to realize pressure's off. Amen? The pressure's off. This is he, though. The one who is humble, contrite in spirit. The one who realizes, I can't do this on my own. The one who realizes that I am absolutely nothing on my own. And then he trembles at my word. There's a visual there. There's this trembling, and it's not a, a fear like I'm afraid of. It's not a tremble like, you know, you scare, you, you jumped out and went boo, and it scared the snot out of someone, and they're trembling. It's a tremble like I have to have. It's a tremble like I, I must have. I, I, I'm hanging on every moment. It's the one thing that sustains me completely. So we began to look over the last several weeks at people that fit this description except for one, but then that description was really for us. And we looked at Bartimaeus in the New Testament, and we realized that Jesus approaches this blind man, and he looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? We realized that when Jesus stopped for blind Bart, make him seen Bart, we realized that in so doing, we must also stop for others. And we talked about compassion. And we looked at this man sitting at the pool of Bethesda in week two. I know you hear this every week, but I think it's important for it to embed within our minds and within our hearts that they don't become books or stories in the Bible, much like nursery rhymes, but they become life-giving fruit, feeding us to live lives after Christ. We see a man and Jesus walks up to him and says, don't you want to be healed? And he says, I do, but every time that the, the, the opportunity arises, I, I either don't get there in time or I have no one to put me in the water. We looked at ourselves and we said, we can't have any more excuses. No more excuses. No more excuses as to why I can't be used by God, especially in light that we are his work. And then we looked at Zacchaeus. We, little man, we discovered that this sinner... This unassuming man 
went to extremes to have a revelation of who Christ was, and we discovered that he's an unlikely candidate. So am I. And he uses the one that is unlikely. Then Lazarus, was God too late? We discovered, no, he wasn't. And when Jacob wrestled with Jesus all night long, we realized that we have got to have complete reliance upon him. And then when Judas met Jesus in the garden and kissed him on his cheek, Jesus didn't stop for Judas. He just stopped for you, and he stopped for me. Then he had an encounter last week we talked about with a Samaritan woman. We discovered in that that when we encounter Jesus, he does reveal the truth, and he deals with what we've got to handle. Remember, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Listen, when we get in his presence, something happens, and we have to address those things in our past. This week, we're going to look at another paralytic man. If you'll look at Luke chapter 5 with me, of course, most of this will be on the screen like I like to do. Luke chapter 5. All my life, it's been important to me about the people I spend time with. My friends, even the one I married, I discovered when I met Vanessa that she would be one that would be a, 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 a fire to my spiritual life. Sometimes I think she is more spiritual, more in love with Jesus than I am, more devoted to a relationship with Christ. You wouldn't believe how many revelations I've preached and claimed they were mine that were hers. Just kidding. They're all hers. <laughs> I'm just kidding there too. We do feed off of each other, and it's wonderful, and we strengthen each other, but friendships are important. And I've, I've also discovered that when I get spend extra time around people that aren't encouraging me and strengthening me and moving me along in the things of God, I've discovered that I need to back away and realize that they're even influencing me. I've watched people that are hard after the things of God begin to spend extra time with people that aren't and think, I'm just going to witness to them and watch them grow in their faith only to watch them do the complete opposite. And to this day, I've watched on fire people for Jesus get mixed up with people that had no concept of who Jesus was to the point of saying he didn't even exist to now believe that themselves he doesn't even exist. I've watched it time and time again that the people we spend time with will either fuel the fire or put the fire out. That's why it was important that when Jesus sent the disciples out, he sent them in pairs. He didn't send them out alone. So in Luke chapter 5, I want to look at a story today about what friends can do to help us out by looking at this paralytic. Many of us may have heard this in vacation Bible school if we grew up in church. But it's a fun one. Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it says, On one of those days he was teaching Jesus. As he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. I love that phrase. The power of the Lord was with him. We can look at it in various translations, and we'll look at that here in just a minute, about what that really means. And in verse 18, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because the crowd, just like this room today, none of you had a, every one of you had a hard time getting in the room, right? That was supposed to be funny. I know. One of these, one of these days, this is my dream to be funny. So I keep trying in hopes it'll happen. It hadn't happened yet. But anyway... 
<laughs> what was that? Yeah, I'm funny because I'm not funny, right? Uh, anyway, um, because of the crowd, they went on the roof to let him down with his bed through tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when, they, when he, being Jesus, saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately, say immediately, immediately. Listen, the precedent is set. The precedent is set here that Jesus does things immediately, that healing happens immediately. Now, I've seen times when healing takes a, a, a course of, of time to, to manifest, but I'm going to tell you that should not be the norm. I'm here to say that healing should happen immediately in our lives. When we're struggling with something, healing should be an immediate occurrence based on the precedent that is set by Jesus. And immediately, he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. And I love this. And amazement seized them all. Every, go ahead. Every last one of them. All of them. Who is present in the room? The crowds, the Pharisees, the teachers, people of the law. Every last one of them was amazed. And they glorified God and they were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Everybody say that. We've seen extraordinary things today. Wouldn't that be awesome to walk out of here from, from this room today and, and, and as you're out there going to lunch, talking to people, to be able to go up and say, I saw extraordinary things today. See, that's where I am. That's what I believe for. That's what I hope for, that we would see extraordinary things, that we wouldn't just come in and sing a few songs and hear a fantastic message, but we would truly see extraordinary things as we encounter the power of God to do miraculous things in this place. And that's my hope and my dream. But looking at this story, I've got just a few observations as you are getting accustomed to me doing through these, and just five of them, just five observations from this story that we might be able to apply to our lives or just gain some insight into this story. And the first observation, as we read in verse 17, on those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And this is healing is present. Healing is present. Now, I know that this story is a past tense story. I know we're talking about something that happened over 2,000 years ago. So you would think in proper English to line this out that we should have said healing was present. But we know that when Jesus is in the room, when Jesus is manifesting his glory in any place, we can confidently say that healing is Present. As a matter of fact, when the scripture here says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal, that phrase was with him just implies present. It was there. Healing virtue, the power to heal was in that place. 
And I imagine, even though I wasn't there, even though there isn't much written beyond the story of the one man who took up his mat after being immediately healed and he went home, I can only imagine that that wasn't the only person to be healed. As a matter of fact, we read throughout Scripture that when Jesus began to heal, oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes it would say, and everyone who had sickness was healed. He would have compassion upon, and the multitudes, those that were there that had affirmities, were healed. And we know that he encountered people that not just physical, but mental, he would address and heal them as well. And so if Jesus is present, and if my faith says that as I came into this place, his presence was in here today, then why on earth would we not have the faith? I know there was a little bit of double negative in there. But why would we think that healing would not be present in this place today? So I'd ask, what are you dealing with? Is it as simple as allergies? Maybe an ankle that is hurting or chronic headaches or your shoulders jacked up or whatever. I know I'm calling out some things that I know about, but what is it? What are you dealing with? And I would ask you in faith to seek the healer Jesus, not seek the healing, but watch in as you worship him how healing begins to immediately take over in your body. Precedent is set. Healing didn't go away Some 2,000 years ago when Jesus died, rose again, and was resurrected. It didn't die away with the apostles. It is present for us today because I know we have been in the very presence of God. It is something that was a bad aim. It is something that is definitely for us today. So what are you needing a touch of God for in your life? I think we should pause in this moment and just declare those things. I know there's not many of us in here, so it's kind of hard to drown out the noise. But I just say in Jesus' name, whatever it is that we're dealing with, Father, touch it right now. Migraine headache, something I've battled. Kidneys. Shoulders. My knees. Maybe you just need to touch that area that's that's causing you issues right now and in faith, believe that healing is present. Come on, do that with me right now. What's going on in your life? Where do you need a touch of God in your life physically, in your body physically? Just touch that area right now in Jesus' name. What a great observation. Don't just go through the motions. Listen, I, I, this is, I, I feel strongly. I'm going to actually move this for just a minute. This is, this is just a sidebar. I really feel strongly to spend time on this. This wasn't planned. This wasn't, I feel strongly that we need to spend some time on this about healing. I don't, I don't know, I know. There's not a ton of us in here. I, I get that. But I know that there's something that God wants to do in the area of healing. And I know not every one of us is 100% whole. So let's just, let's just pause. Let's wait on him. Lord, I'm so glad we don't have to work this up. Lord, I thank you that healing is present in this room. Lord, we've watched you touch and we've watched you heal. 
We've got testimony in this very room of people that you have touched and healed. And Lord, I'm thankful that even even if the faith is lacking for someone to be healed, Lord, we're going to see here in just a little bit that it wasn't the faith of this paralytic that made him whole. It was the faith of his friends. So Lord, if it's my faith that's necessary for someone to receive their healing today, Lord, I pray that be what it does. What does it? feel inclined to ask you to just notice what's different. If something's different, notice it. Move what you couldn't move. Do something you couldn't do. Note the time, the date. So healing is present. Observation number two. This might sound something that students need to hear in a youth group, teenage students. Our friends matter. Observation number two, our friends matter. Looking at the story in Luke 8, verse 18, it says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. What would he have done if he didn't have these men, these friends? He'd still be laying on his bed. He'd still be paralyzed because he had no way to walk himself into the room. And if he had that ability, then he wouldn't be sick. He wouldn't be paralyzed. He wouldn't need to be healed, right? And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way. I, I think if I'd have been these friends, I'm just telling you, this is where I'm at. If I walked into this, this parking lot and this place was just packed, Jesus' name, was so packed that you couldn't get through that door and the power of God was manifesting itself in this room, like not just like we have goosebumps and this worship's really good, but I'm talking about the power of God fully manifesting himself in this place in a way that, that people are getting out of wheelchairs, okay? I'm talking about legitimate move of God in this place, that, that infirmities are totally going away, that cancerous cysts are uh, dissolving before our eyes. And, and I believe that in all my heart that can happen and will happen in this place. But imagine that you get to that door and there's the fire marshal would be ticked off because of what's going on in this place because of the occupancy overload within this room and 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 I'm I'm out there and I'm trying to bring a friend in that's got a limp or something that's sick and and whatever and I can't get through that side door because there's just no way to get in here I'd be like I can't get you in I'm sorry maybe there'll be overflow holy ghost out there in the parking lot which I've seen that before I'd give up there But in verse 19, the friends say, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went onto the roof. They peeled away the tiles and they let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. The Bible says very clearly in verse 20. Should be up there. Verse 20. And when he saw His faith doesn't say that, does it? When he saw their faith, when he saw the faith of the friends, he healed this man. Makes me think of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. Now, we've heard it maybe, maybe where it says, 
don't be unequally yoked. I like the way the Passion Translation puts it. It says, don't continue to team up with unbelievers in mismatched alliances. Hey, maybe that should be something applied towards how we do business. For what partnership is there between righteous and rebellion? Who can mingle light with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What friendship does God's temple have with demons? For indeed, we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will make my home in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, our friends matter. Amen? Observation number three. Opposition. Wow, that took a second. Opposition accompanies faith and movement. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Remember, Jesus didn't look at him and say, be healed. He looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. See, that's pretty important and pretty profound. We'll look at that with observation. I just, we, we know op- opposition comes but with observation four. Number four, we know God demonstrates to validate who he is. But you may know that the Son of Man, listen, this is what happens. They, they've questioned him. Who, who, who is it that can forgive sins but God alone, the Pharisees say. And Jesus Knowing their hearts, he addresses them and he says, but this, you may know that the Son of God or the Son of Man actually has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, before I get to that, I want us to look at something very clearly here. Jesus could have easily said, rise and walk. That's easy easy to demonstrate, is it not? But if Jesus says your sins are forgiven... And then the man rises and walks. What does that do to validate who Jesus is? For the Pharisees say that only man or God can forgive sins. And if Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and then God demonstrates through signs and wonders the power of God in the moment, what does that do to confirm and validate who Jesus says he is by the actions of what he just said. That's just our sign outside blowing over, probably. You see, in this moment, Jesus was healing this man, but he was doing so much more. He was revealing who he is. That's what he does. When he walks in here, He reveals who he is. When he stops, he's revealing who he is. We watched him as he walked on the water to pass by the disciples in the boat. He was revealing who he is. When he met Zacchaeus at the sycamore tree, Zacchaeus called to find out who he was. And later he called him Lord for he was revealing who he was. The Samaritan woman, he discovered, she discovered who Jesus was. And we found out about the, the paralytic 
sick lying at the pool of Bethesda, that he had no clue who this man was that had healed him. And later he had another encounter with Jesus. And in that moment he goes on to call him Lord with a big L understanding then in Revelation who this man is. And I ask you today, are you in a position to have Jesus stop before you in this place, demonstrate who he is yet, and also reveal who he is? See, that's the goal. That's the point. That's the idea that he reveal who he is. And once he's revealed who he is, transformation takes place. And that's when our hearts begin to be worked on. That's when our actions begin to change. That's when our minds are transformed. That's when everything begins to make sense in a way that doesn't make sense, if you can make sense of that. And when that all happens, my fifth observation comes into place. And in boldness, I can say this, he always, not not me, not you as you go out and you watch Jesus manifest through you, he always gets the glory, and we saw that in verse 26, and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Today's the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Jesus looked at the paralytic and says, your sins are forgiven. In this moment, he was offered salvation. And I say to you today, today is your day of encounter. I pray you've had an encounter with God. I pray you've shown up in this place and you're able to say that for the last hour and 15 minutes of encounter with Jesus in this place, you would say, that was worth it. Do we have to end Maybe I'll dive in more into his presence this afternoon, tonight. Maybe I'll experience more of him tomorrow. I'll seek hard after him on Tuesday. I'll, I'll seek to have opportunities where I will, just as Jesus stopped for me, stop for someone else. Maybe it can look something like this. Abigail, can you put the logo up? Do you know how to do that, baby girl? Maybe in doing so, we can experience these bottom words upon the logo that really is our vision for the house in which we engage people to the heart of God. And it's done through demonstration because in demonstration of the presence and the power of God, there's an encounter that takes place in which others, just like you, just like me, have a revelation of who Jesus is. And when that happens, we can't help but sit before the feet of Jesus and have some form of an equipping process to know him more, to move more within the workings of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit within our lives. And then all of a sudden we find out that the cycle has begun in our lives where now that we've engaged into the heart of God, encountered him, and we've been equipped to talk about how good he is, we've been equipped to exercise the gifts that God has given us, then all of a sudden we're now going out and helping other people engage to encounter, to be equipped. And then they go out to engage, to encounter, to equip. Do you see what's happening there? And that's our purpose right here today. That's why Word of Life is right here in northeastern Oklahoma. That's why we're here to encounter Jesus. That's why. And that's why. And I ask you today, 
What's different? Have you engaged? Have you encountered? Is God being glorified? Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I dot com and click on the give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.